So Jesus was in a home and he was teaching when there was an interruption. There was a guy who came in and told him that his mother and brothers were outside the door waiting on him outside the house. And he used the opportunity to speak about his eternal family. Now they were, his mother was uh, certainly uh, the, the one who gave birth to him, his brothers by another father. Uh, were there, and, and reason why they were there is because they wanted to take him back home. They really felt like he was not of sound mind because his teachings were putting him on a direct pathway of opposition with the religious leaders of the day, and they are, were already looking for a way to arrest him and plotting for his murder. So the family recognizes that uh, he's in trouble uh, and he may not know it, so let's go get him. We'll bring him back home, and we'll get things settled. Of course, Jesus is very much settled, and he is very much in his right mind. He's just after the Father's business, the Heavenly Father's business, and he looks to those who are around him, who are hearing him in his teaching and giving to that teaching in faith, and he says, Here are my mother, brothers, sisters. for They are the ones who do the will of God. Later that day, he goes out of the house, and he walks down to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I put the pictures up there because when you and I think about the beach, uh, we're not thinking about that. We're thinking about the Gulf of Mexico and its white sandy beaches and just beautiful. Uh, this is more uh, like what you would see if you walk to the Lake Gennesaret right now, which is the Sea of Galilee. You would see a lot of rocks. It's an area that has had volcanic action going on, and so all those rock deposits are everywhere. So the shoreline is that way. I'm just guessing this is to be true because if, if every other tourist is like me, I picked up a rock and took it. Those rocks were probably brought in from some quarry or something. But at any rate, when you go on the side there, on the, uh, if we'll go to the next slide, you go on to the hillside, which this is about the perspective where Jesus might have been, Along that hillside, there are some subsurface and surface rocks. In fact, that area is, is pretty well known to be an area that will bring in a harvest sooner than other areas, not because of the climate. This is actually to the north of Israel. But the heat of the rocks makes the soil around it warmer, and the seed germination goes quicker, and the harvest comes in quicker. So Jesus is there. He's walking down the hillside to the Sea of Galilee, and he's recognizing that there are a lot of people around him. They're all around on the beach there. So he actually gets into a boat, goes out a little bit, and sits down facing the crowd and begins to teach them. By the way, when you're on the Coosa River and you're on your pontoon or somebody else's pontoon and you're passing by somebody's house and you're talking about them, you need to know that your voice carries well on water. <laughs> you're making enemies. Jesus takes that same principle of voice carrying and he sits down at the boat there on the Sea of Galilee and he begins to communicate to the masses and what he's communicating is great kingdom truth. He does it through stories. In fact, Matthew has given us a section of those which we are getting into in this little series of messages that I'm about to share over the next several weeks. The first of which is in the 13th chapter. Jesus says there's this farmer and he goes out to sow his seed. Now, this farmer is an indiscriminate seed caster. That's a fancy way of saying he's sticking his hand in the bag and he's tossing that seed everywhere. 
It's not like what you and I might do in our gardens where we put a stake on each side, we squared it up, and we run a line, and we dig, and we plant in appropriate measure. This farmer is casting seed, broadcasting seed in a big field. And Jesus says some of that seed falls on the pathway there to the field. And because it's a trodden down pathway, that seed becomes easy food pickings for the birds. And they swoop down and they steal that seed away. It has no way of getting into the ground. He said some of the seed actually falls in the shallows where there's some rock underneath. And it can't really get into a deep root structure so it's just sort of sprouts up quickly with the heat of the the rocks but there's no way for the roots to get down to where the good nutrition is in the soil and the moisture so when the sun comes out in its full force that little tender plant actually gets scorched away no life to be left in it and then he says some of the seed from the sower is actually falling among the thicket and the thorns it's in the Uh, in the um, out-of-bounds area on your golf course. And it's in that that the seed actually might root but gets choked out. It can't compete with that which is already there. And he says some of the seed actually cast into good soil. And an amazing thing happens. When that seed's cast into good soil, it produces a bountiful production. Not just 10 to 20% of what might be estimated to come from a farmer in those days. But Jesus says actually a hundredfold or 60 or 30. In other words, way more than expected. All right, now the parable is meant to share a biblical truth, an eternal truth. It's a principle of the kingdom. It's what later Matthew would call by Jesus' words, the words of the kingdom. So there's a parallel to the story. There's a truth, and the story is meant to parallel that truth. Now, it's for two reasons that that happens. Number one, it helps us to learn the truth, and and we can grab hold of the truth more readily with the teaching of the Holy Spirit of God. The second thing, it actually keeps those who are not inclined to the Word of God from understanding the truths of God. Now, that's a little barb, isn't it? But we'll talk more about that next week. You'll have to come back for that one. The disciples, who don't have the Holy Spirit yet, they go back to Jesus, and they basically ask him, you're going to have to tell us about this one. You're going to have to help us to understand. And periodically, Jesus does that. So Jesus begins to communicate about the parable to the disciples. He just opens it up for them. He says, in this part of the story, it means this. In that part of the story, it means that. And that's where I'd like to focus today on Jesus' explanation of Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. Jesus says to the disciples, Hear then the parable of the sower. Here's what that parable is all about. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, Jesus said, This is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. 
When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one who is sown among thorns, Jesus says this, This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, no doubt, Jesus is the greatest farmer who ever lived. You say, what? I don't remember Jesus being a farmer. I thought he was a carpenter. Well, Jesus is the greatest carpenter, no doubt, but he's also the greatest farmer. And the reason why I know that is because he is the one who brought all living things to be. In fact, he's the husband of creation. He's the caretaker. He's the sustainer of it all. If you want to know how best to do things in your garden or in your yard or in your farm, just look to what Jesus does. In fact, on the global field when we're out, we often share biblical principles or principles that are discoverable in creation in which God has put forth as a system, as a rhythm, as a principle for growth. You know, God is not on his throne wringing his hands wondering how in the world is he going to ever get that forest to grow. He's not wondering how to have seed to germinate or plants to sprout forth. From the sea to the land, God is an amazing gardener. I wish I could spend some time talking to you about that because Kay and I have been trying to apply those principles in our yard and in our garden as well. And we'll be teaching those in October down in the Dominican Republic with some others of Meadowbrook and excited to do so, partnering with the churches there and with lost people so that they might discover who God is. Romans 1 says God can be known through creation. So, but this is not a narrative about gardening. This is not really a narrative about farming. And although there's a farmer in the story, this is more about the soil than it is the farmer. This is about the soil and the seed. And Jesus begins to open up the story for the disciples and for us to discover this is more about my heart. This is more about God's word coming to me and how the effect of that may be. Ultimately, what God wants is productivity. Every farmer wants a harvest. I'm not talking about just a good harvest. I want a great harvest. I want a bountiful harvest. And certainly God does as well. So God is giving kingdom words to us, and he's wanting a harvest from those. He wants a bounty from those, and rightfully he should ask for that, and he should receive that, and he should hold us accountable to that. I'm talking about unexplainable harvest. I'm talking about abundance in our life. Now, before you take me as one of those preachers that talks about all the abundance and the provision in a temporary way, don't do that. The kingdom of God is not reduced down to what is temporary. The kingdom of God is eternal. So the kingdom principles that God is giving to us by the words of Christ and what we have in the Bible are words that are meant to bring a harvest to our life. What kind of harvest would that be of God? Well, he tells us that in Galatians. He says the, the abundance of life for those who apply kingdom principles are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He says this is the abundant fruit that can be yours if you apply the kingdom words to your life. 
I don't know about you, but there are many times in my life where I say, God, do I ever need to appropriate more joy in my life? I need to experience more joy. Anybody with me on that one? Anybody in here saying, God, I need more goodness in my life? Okay, this is the audience participation time <laughs> where I get more than just a bobblehead going down on 411. Anybody else needing some goodness? All right. Anybody else shy on patience and you say, God, if I could just have more patience, if I could just have more endurance, Lord, if I could just be more faithful, yeah, gentle. Man, do I ever need that pill every now and then. Yeah, Jesus says, I want to share with you words of the kingdom which will be like seed cast into you, and I want it to bring about a harvest that is unexplainable. 30, 60, 100 fold. I, I want it to be rich in your life. So certainly Jesus is offering that to us and, and we are wanting to receive that. Our hearts ought to be inclined to receive that, that the, the spiritual kingdom of God and the words about that kingdom are to be given to us and to be bountiful in us so that all those characteristics of the fruit of God would be demonstrated in us. How do we do that? Well, number one, we're like good soil. We want to be submissive to the farmer. And in this case, we want to be submissive to Jesus. So it's his word, and he's the scatterer. He's the one that's giving it today, and he's the one that will give it tomorrow. So we want to be submissive to him. The soil has to be pliable, and it has to receive what the farmer is doing for it to really be productive. You, you and I are husbands of creation. We're managers of creation meant to bring an abundance from it. God has made all the provision necessary. What we have to do is work it. So we're saying, God, in my spiritual life, I need you to work in me. And I'm not going to resist you. I'm going to say, do your work in me. This is the beginnings of it. So we're submitting to God doing his work in me and you. And then we say, okay, Lord, this is how you tend to work most. You take this word, the Bible, and you begin to shape us by it. You begin to weed out of us things that are not in this word. You begin to challenge us intellectually. You begin to challenge us spiritually and emotionally. You let this word become like the hoe and the shovel to your spirit and soul. And then God will begin working his word in you. He'll begin nurturing good soil in your heart so that what he is putting in you, casting into your life, can actually bring those things, the love, joy, peace, and all that list that are found in Galatians. So this is what he's doing. This is what he's after. So people who seek God in his word thrive in that place. And this is what Jesus is longing for, that we would be able to thrive in life. It's a longing to live with this great abundance of God. Now, I should warn you that this doesn't make life easy. It's not like it's a magical moment where all of a sudden you're, you're living in Disney World all the time. You ever been there? Part of it makes me say, man, I like this place. But then when you leave, you have to leave and go to reality. That's a fantasy, isn't it? Somebody else tending to it with perfection? Well, this life is not like that. This life is broken. This life is scarred by sin. This life has disease and despair. So how is it that we can have abundant life today when we live in a world that's broken? Well, we can do that because Jesus is inviting us into his spiritual kingdom. 
And in his spiritual kingdom, he is shaping spiritually the way he is going to shape things physically one day. And yes, our world is broken, and yes, it is marked with sin, and yes, there's disease and despair and death, but it is not always going to be that way. In fact, the Bible says that God, in His Son, is reconciling all things to Himself. He is going to make all things new. But until He does that, He is making us spiritually new. And He gives us, with this abundance of His Word, the way to walk spiritually anew and fresh. So I'm driving down the road, and emotionally I don't feel right. I don't feel good. I'm, in fact, I'm a little bit ticked off. I'm feeling a little bit down. Anybody else on the road with me? You better get out of my way. <laughs> and just begin praying, God, I know that's not of you. I just need your grace to be known by me now. Lord, fill me with joy. Fill me with gladness. God, I've got every reason to be that way. I know what's coming. I've got every reason to, to be filled with joy, no matter the temporary circumstances that I find myself in. I know where it's going for eternity. And I'm telling you, it just makes a difference when you have that ability just to let the appropriated grace of Christ to rest and to be in us. This is what Christ is longing to do. But now he's throwing these things out indiscriminately. Let's take today, for instance. When you came in, we didn't card you at the door. We weren't checking IDs. We weren't saying, okay, you can come in, but you don't come in. In fact, when you came to the building, you probably saw the doors wide open. And you probably saw people outside saying, welcome. Come in. Good morning. It's good to see you. We were moving people this way. Right now, the 8 o'clock service is being broadcast on the radio. Right now, we're live streaming on the internet. Some of, some of our folks, maybe some new to Meadowbrook, are joining us on live stream right now. Say hello to them. Hello. Oh, you're so hospitable. Thank you. <laughs> You've been given the handout. It's got notes in there. It's going to be posted online. We're, we're going to give it out throughout the community. Listen, this is an indiscriminate word. What I'm saying is, this morning, I'm like the farmer just casting it out there. It's just going out everywhere, on the internet, on the radio, in printed form, and in verbal form in this room. It's just going out. Now, where it hits is not my responsibility. I'm just to cast it. And your life is the same way, just casting God's principles, just casting God's word of his kingdom, just putting it out there. The rest of it is up to you. And Jesus is saying, what I want for your life is abundance of joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. What? I want all those things for you. But some of you are wrestling. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are choking. Some of you are lifeless. And I want life for you. And begins to tell this story to help people identify where they may be that would hinder God's abundance in them. The first thing he says is the hard-hearted person. He says of the hard-hearted person, it's like the seed is thrown indiscriminately and it falls on a pathway. It would be as if I were throwing seed on the grass right outside the door and some of it falls on the sidewalk. It's like a bird buffet. They're going to swoop down and grab that and take it off. And some of you have that kind of heart about you. It's so hardened, so impacted 
so resistant because of all this stuff going on. And the way that gets vocalized is, you know, I didn't get a word he said. He just talks right over my head. I don't understand anything of the Bible. There's no reason for me to read it. I can't understand it. I don't understand this thing of God. I I don't get this or I don't get that. And the point is, the hard heart cannot receive the words of truth of God. It has to be softened. It has to be ready to receive. The pathway has to be softened up. Now, I, I like to mess around in the yard. I like to cut grass. Believe it or not, I even like to weed eat. I like to see things be transformed. It's part of God's work in me to take something that's ugly in creation and make something beautiful so that we step back and people say, wow, God. One of the things that I've realized in my yard is that it has clay consistency. It has a natural bent to be hard. The worms don't like it. The microbial stuff going on, they don't really like it. They can't get down in there very well. The the water doesn't really penetrate well. I have to do long, slow soaks to try to get it to go in. But I found that if I go to Red Barn and buy some lime and lime my yard every year, something makes my yard softer. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know I'm sort of thrifty, so I hate to spend 100 bucks or more on my yard for lime when you really can't see the effects of lime. Throw some nitrogen out there, five, six days, you can see the effect of nitrogen. But you throw some lime out there, and you don't see the effects of that. It's all going on underneath. In fact, I might even question the value of spending 100 bucks on lime when I don't see the effect of that. But what I don't see is the softening of the soil. What I don't see is the worms can actually get in. What I don't see is that microbial level comes alive even more because it can get the air and the moisture that it needs. What I don't see is what's going on underneath. Now, some of you might say, well, Randy, if lime is to your yard what the Bible is to my heart, then I don't see where the Bible's working. I don't see the immediate effect of that. I don't get what the Bible's saying to my life. I'm here to tell you, you keep applying, you keep reading, you keep memorizing, you keep posting, you keep singing, you keep being sung to, you keep encouraging one another in the Word of God, and you may not know it's going to work, but I'm telling you with all certainty, it is going to work. And you're going to be softened. It'll change you. Just let it do its work. You're going to have to be disciplined. You're going to have to turn that blasted TV off. You're going to have to unplug the internet every now and then. You're going to have to get off social media. Stop looking at all the recipes that you know you're not going to cook. (laughs) Wishing somebody would cook them for you. I just saw, we were on last night, I just saw Charlie bit my finger again. Man, are we circling back to that one again? (laughs) What a waste. Kind of know how my brain fires neurons in different directions now, don't you? The point is, keep after it. All right, what would stop you? What would stop you from hearing and understanding and having a bounty life in the Spirit? What hardens our hearts, number one thing that hardens our hearts, is sin. And you say, okay, you're a preacher, you're supposed to say that. 
practiced sin and ignored sin become the most hardeners of our heart. When you practice it and when you ignore it as if it's not going on, when you've justified it till it's not needing justification anymore, and you just practice the things that God says don't practice, that will harden your heart till it becomes rigored. It will not be pliable. And I can cast the word out and you're just saying, man, does that ever go over my head? I say lift your head and lift your heart to Jesus and let him hit the mark. The second thing is pride. Just pride will harden our heart. If humility is the conditioner of our heart, pride is the deconditioner. Sin and pride. Number one, number two. I'd say there's some others in there. Hurt, pain, suffering, confusion. All those things can harden your heart. You say, okay, Randy, it's true. I've got repetitive sin in my life. I've got ignored sin in my life. Or I've got pride, arrogance in my life. Or there's this hurt and confusion. I've been asking, why, God? Why would you do this to me? Why would you let that happen to me? And yes, my heart is hardened to the things of God. What do I do? Well, Jesus began his first message with this. Repent. I'd say repent and believe. What does that mean, repent? Repenting is coming to an understanding about who I am and what I need God to do in my life. So if God convicts me of pride, it's coming to an understanding of who I am. God, I'm a prideful, I'm an arrogant, I'm, I'm self-absorbed, I'm all those things. And God, I don't seem to be able to change that, but I believe you can. That's a repentance. And belief, God being the transformer. So if sin, pride, hurt, suffering, those things have hardened your heart or something else, repent, come to terms with who you are and how you have shortcomings and how God alone can change it and turn towards Him in belief. And as you do so, do like David, who was said by God to have a heart after God, but also demonstrated hardness at times. You say, well, my heart is too hard. Oh, could it be as hard as an adulterer who became a murderer? Well, that was David. In fact, if you're hearing my words and there's any movement in your heart whatsoever, any inclination of you hearing the Spirit of God say, hey, he's talking about you. Hey, he's talking about that in your life. Or hey, he's talking about that conversation that you had. If you've got any of that going on, no matter how hard your heart is, I'm here to tell you God can work in you. He's already started. David came to that conclusion and he said, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. So it's God, reveal those things about me and then lead me to the right way. This is the way to start. And how do we keep our, our heart pliable? How do we keep it from going hard again? Well, the psalmist said it this way in 119 Psalm, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the word of God that will bring transformation. 
The very thing that you're hardened against is the very thing that can soften your hardening. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your son, your daughter, your wife. Maybe it's somebody in your workplace that's just hard. Inundate them with the Word. Live out the new life of the Word of God. Write it, post it, sing it. Do whatever you have to do. Get the Word out in front of them. It can be a transformer. All right, so the hardness of heart is one thing that will keep us from actually having the abundant life that Christ wants to have. The second is this, this, this whole notion of, let me get my notes back up here. Some people are rooted in the things of God, but tribulation or persecution uproots them. So the visual is the seed is cast, and it goes to an area where there's some shallow soil, but there's rocks underneath, and the root really can't go where the nutrition and the water sources are. So it's vulnerable. And when the winds and the, and the sun comes, it really drives it out, and it, it destroys that. So in that, Jesus is saying, uh, your life cannot be shallow. Y- your life needs to have this word of God root in it and have uh, the means by which to grow and have deep root structure. You're not going to have a harvest without good root structure. So Jesus is helping them to identify that. Now, some of you were told somewhere along the way, you've got a choice to make between heaven or hell. Now, that is a pretty easy choice to make. Die in misery of fires that are unquenchable and live that way in a perpetual state of misery and death for the rest of my days, separated from the love of God for all eternity or where there is nothing but greatness. I choose greatness. That's a pretty easy thing. So some of you heard that, like I heard that, and you chose heaven over hell, and you repeated a prayer that somebody else prayed. I'm just going to throw this out there. That's about as shallow as you get. And when the persecution comes, you're the first to die. You're the first to abandon that because there's no realness to that. Now, I received that when I was a a young one. And then I thought, well, there's something else missing. Surely there's something else missing, and there was. So I thought, okay, God, for the rest of my days, I'm going to mind my manners, and I'm going to do what you want me to do so that maybe in the end you will be satisfied. Listen, there is no measure by which I can accomplish that would satisfy the perfection that God requires. That's the reason why Jesus came, who was perfected who was perfection, who was holy, who was righteous, and he became the one who could take our sin upon his righteous being and pay God's penalty of that sin, which is justice. Our salvation is totally resting on Jesus. But now, if you're that one who believed that lie like I did, then your faith is shallow, and you probably have never experienced a transformation You're probably the same person that you've always been, just thinking you're going to heaven. And God says, what I really want out of you is bounty today and for eternity. What I'm really longing for is transformation, that your heart would be like good soil, and it would receive my word and the kingdom principles, and you would be transformed by it. The Spirit of God dwelling within you. You okay? I just probably offended some of you, but if it means that you end up 
in a personal relationship with the Almighty God for all eternity, I'm good with it. Then he gives the third. People of the world have their the Word of God choked out of them because of the cares and the riches of the world. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message about his kingdom, and that kingdom message of Jesus is completely opposite of the kingdom message of the world. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus has come to declare the kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom of God, and everybody seems to be opposed to him because they're already in a kingdom. The kingdom of the world is what really lifts up sin. The kingdom of God, though, lifts up holiness. They're counter to one another. The kingdom of the world, it really celebrates unrestrained, and the kingdom of God cherishes the law and the word of God. The kingdom of the world exalts self. The kingdom of Jesus is exalting humility. The kingdom of the world says, live for the moment, and the kingdom of God says, live with eternity in mind. These are two counter-cultural kingdoms. So this message is not the same. That some Christians would attempt to be in the kingdom of God while they live out the expression of the kingdom of the world is really not possible. In fact, what Jesus says, people that attempt to do that, the world will choke out the word of God. Just chokes it out. James, who is the brother of Jesus by another daddy, he said this. What was sown, uh, go to, the, to James' passage, if you will. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus is saying, you're not going to be able to do both. And this is the message of the Bible all the way through from the very beginning when God was telling people, you're going to choose me because I've chosen you. You've got to choose. So Jesus warns about what will choke out his word and what chokes out his word is primarily two things, self-indulgence and an outward focus on temporary things. We have a tendency to go this way, to be more given to our stomach than to our heart, to be given more to what is temporary and will burn away than what is eternal and will last forever. We have a tendency to go there. And so Jesus is helping us to discover that so that we can have his abundance by recognizing the difference and moving towards the eternal. Such people may be all around the world of God. You might be hearing the word of God. It's broadcast indiscriminately today, but the word of the world is going to choke out that word. In fact, some of you are thinking right now, Wish he would shut up so we can go to lunch. Your stomach has trumped your heart. All right, so Jesus, longing for you to have the bounty of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. says, don't let the world choke that out. Don't let riches choke that out. How do you know if that's you? Go to your bank statements and go to your credit card statements and see how you spend money. It will reveal your heart. Now, it's deceptive. 
This whole riches thing is deceptive. And in our culture, it's really deceiving. It makes, it th- makes us think that we have to have it in order to keep up. And you're right. But why would you keep up with something that is failing? Come to something that's eternal and victorious. Don't let the world choke it out. Don't let your hunger for riches choke out this word of God. Choose the things of God which are eternal. Let me wrap up. Where are you today? The word is being indiscriminately cast. Where are you today? Is it hitting on a hard heart? Is it hitting on a shallow heart? Is it hitting on a heart that's being choked out by the world and everything temporary and the riches and the hunger for them? Or is it hitting on good soil? Jesus longing for us to have the abundance that he has died and resurrected to give us says, don't be fooled. Deal with that heart. Deal with the conditions of your inner man. Let him do his work. The first thing is to submit to him. Lord, I've come to terms with this about my life, and I turn away from them. That's repentance. And I turn to you in my life because you alone can bring the change. That's belief. But that's where you start. And anything specific that he's sharing with you, confess it. Agree with him about that. And come to him. Be disciplined to be in his word. Let his word wash you, build you, condition you, write you. Be purposeful about that and see what God will begin doing. I pray that it will be a hundredfold. 60-fold, or amazing 30-fold, for the glory and the goodness of the Father in us. Let's pray. So help us, God, to do what you've called us to do, to be given to you, to be conditioned by you, to be tilled by you. What is it in our life, Lord, that has hardened us? What weeds are in our life that choke out your word? What is it, Lord, the shallowness of our being that we need to recognize and let great soil conditioning happen? We pray it would be so that your bounty may be ours and we give glory to Jesus. In his name I pray.